Hey there, Kubrick fans. If you like what you hear during this episode, be sure to visit our website at thekubrickseries.com for more episodes and uncut interviews from the series. And you can also consider making a one-time or recurring monthly donation in any amount of your choosing if you'd like to support our podcast. That's thekubrickseries.com. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Kubrick Series Uncut. In this episode, we speak with Warner Brothers marketing executive Don Buckley. Mr. Buckley collaborated with Kubrick on The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, and Eyes Wide Shut. So when, when you got into, uh, when you entered Warner Brothers, it was, it was in their, their marketing and publicity department, correct? That's correct, yeah. Yeah. And uh, had you heard about Mr. Kubrick and his his attention to, to to those kinds of factors in his films prior to joining Warner Brothers? Well, yeah. I mean, um, are we re- we're recording now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, I had worked prior to joining Warner Brothers in, in 1980. I worked uh, at the advertising agency, handling uh, in a relatively junior position, handling. Um, Warner Brothers films. So, uh, you know, and prior to that, uh, you know, I've been in the movie business since the age of 18, really, having worked uh, my first job at a drive-in movie theater. So it was, you know, it was hard not to be aware of Kubrick uh, as a filmmaker and, you know, being surrounded by movie people from exhibition on up through distribution and into production, yeah, you'd always heard things about uh, about Stanley's movies and the, and his you know his style of working. And he had a wonderful uh, relationship, at least it seems like this on the outset, with with Warner Brothers. I mean, unlike any other director, uh, I mean, he was isn't that correct? he did he did, and you know the thing was that um, you had to be uh, blessed. You know, you you had to be sort of blessed by the guys he trusted, and uh, I was 25 when I first went there. You know, what did I know? And, um, Joe Hines was sort of a legendary publicist at Warner Brothers who uh, had a, a really a lifelong uh, or certainly career-long relationship with uh, Stanley Kubrick. Um, essentially, did that for me. He said, "Stanley, I want you to meet Don Buckley." He's going to take good care of you. He's our guy in New York, and this is after George Nelson, who had run previously run the Warner Brothers office in New York, um, had retired. Um, you know, and then I, I was sort of blessed as Stanley's contact in in New York. And the reason it was important is because you know the time difference. Two things: the time difference between London and and uh, New York, obviously, is, is better than that of. Uh, <laughs> of uh, of London and, and Los Angeles, but also he's a New Yorker. You know, he, he mm-hmm. liked he liked New Yorkers, and uh, uh, and then um, you know I sort of come in at the very tail end of that sort of there's just a great period at Warner Brothers where our division, you know, marketing division, and that office in New York was very powerful because of uh, its. Uh, its relationship with Steve Ross, you know, another legendary guy, the head of Warner Communications, uh, yeah. who sort of used our office uh, and depended on that office as uh, 
help with the care and feeding of great talent, artists and actors and directors and so on. So it was really a wonderful thing to see, especially as a wide-eyed 25-year-old coming to them. You know, all of a sudden I'm being introduced mm-hmm. by telephone, by the way, introduced by telephone to Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> so but, but you had to have had a preconceived notion about what Mr. Kubrick would be like. So uh, what surprised you about him in, in those initial interactions with him? Well, not so many uh, preconceived notions, but the, the first thing I remember is walking into a colleague's office, and remember this is 1980, right? Um, walking into a colleague's office and seeing a thermal fax uh, hanging on the wall, held aloft by a clothes hanger attached to a hook on the wall, and it was just a continuous feed of thermal faxes that had come through overnight from Stanley, um, requesting whatever it was that he was after. He, you know, he would ask us to buy him certain kinds of books for research and and uh, even you know pieces of clothing and uh, but not for himself. You know, it was for you know, he wanted to see the fabric, he wanted to see the material, he wanted to pour through rare books and. There was always something going on in preparation for the next project, so that was my first my first encounter, you know, with uh, with the reality of Stanley Kubrick was uh, like a fifty foot long thermal fax that had come through <laughs> overnight, and wow. you know, faxes took hours to come through then, you know. Mm. Mm. So w- w- you came on during the the Shining period. So I came on during the Shining period. My job at that time was to um, uh, prepare the advertising, uh, you know, to buy the advertising in the, in the New York market for Warner Brothers Pictures, and that was a big deal then, and uh, some of the other marketing as well. And we would create ads, and um, he was deeply involved. You know, I remember being on the phone with him and um, and talking about the distance between the quotes and the ad that was going to run in the New York Times. You know, he wanted to move something up a quarter of an inch or something like that. Uh, he was very, very visual. And, uh, you know, you always felt like, uh, A, you felt, well, okay, isn't this, this is pretty cool. This guy is obviously uh, interested in every detail, every aspect of how this movie is presented to the public. Um, but you also felt, um, honestly, that... Um, as you did with many artists at Warner Brothers, it's what made it a unique place. Uh, you felt like you were doing something in service of something pretty important. You know, at least we, you know, we told ourselves that anyway. Uh, but, but uh, you know, I think it, it's true in many cases. Uh, you know, you knew there were great. There was great work at hand. Was, yes. Uh, yeah. So. And how would you characterize his? Um his work and, and the way his his films were marketed under his direction compared to the the other films that you handled was there a distinct Kubrickian kind of style that you observed? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it was very spare, at least in its visual presentation. It was very spare, and um, not a lot of. Um, not a lot of extraneous material. You know, there was a singular image typically with uh, with um, his movies. You know, you remember The Shining. You remember the the title art 
loved a very evocative title art on, on that film and uh, Full Metal Jacket, that iconic, you know, the iconic helmet shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's always very, very simple, um, evocative uh, looks. And, you know, he worked, obviously, with many people to achieve that. Uh, but it always, I think it always sort of sprang forth from from his thinking, and, and uh, even that you know that attention to detail, which you know in something as simple as a print ad, um, was all about how it was going to be perceived and presented, and how he wanted it perceived and presented. Yeah, I've I've heard stories that he would he would get all the newspapers, he'd get the New York Times or what have you, and and he'd call and he'd say. Why, why am I in London and, and I'm the one that notices that this ad is an eighth of an inch off or something? Uh, yeah, I got calls like I got calls like that. <laughs> I would get calls like that I, at home, you know, because you you know you had my home number, and um, you'd get calls about um, some things that weren't even your you know responsibility. Um, I think it was. I think it was on The Shining. He, he asked me to talk to the projectionist at the Cinema One Theater. I think it was the Cinema One Theater where The Shining was. And he asked me uh, to talk to the projectionist and get the uh, the throw, uh, the distance between uh, the projector and the and the screen. <laughs> so of course I did. You know, I think I went over there physically and I talked to the projectionist, and he gave me a number and I'd call Stanley back. And uh, so, yeah, I talked to Jack over at Cinema One, whatever his name was, and, uh, you know, it's X number of feet. And he'd say, yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) 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 I never never knew why, uh, but he knew. He knew already what the throw was. Uh, Maybe he was um, concerned that the projectionist knew what the throw was. I don't know. But there were lots and lots of those kinds of things that happened over the years. Well, he was very particular about the presentation yeah. in the theaters. And, and he knew the strengths and weaknesses of each individual location in a lot of these areas. He did, yeah. And, yeah, and and there are stories, um, sort of legendary stories of you know how he poured over the, um, the video transfers of his films. Um, and, you know, was uh, uh, meticulous about aspect ratio and, and uh, presentation. So, I mean, you know, it's it's all of the same school of thought. It's, it was all about visual and the presentation. And uh, you know, he's a photographer, right? That, yeah. uh, in the beginning, he was a photographer, and uh, uh, I, I don't think that ever left him. He was always composing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, how early in the process uh, did did he dedicate his, his his time and thought to the marketing of of the films? You know, I, I don't remember it being that early on, um, but we were always involved in a lot of preparation during production. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, way beyond what what the job description uh, said um, or stated. Um, the uh the marketing stuff i mean um not too not too much before it wasn't much later when i started doing digital work you know 
uh, I did a little bit of that for for Eyes Wide Shut, um, that we would begin, you know, just as general practice to get involved in marketing very, very early or comparatively earlier, and that was not so much on on Kubrick films, uh, except, as I said, a little bit on, on Eyes Wide Shut. Was what was um, in these films? Was there a, a challenge, a specific challenge that were unique to to working on his films as opposed to others? Um, or was Kubrick himself the the challenge that? Was there? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, look, it was it was always um, a kind of an adventure, you know. Um, there were requests, as I mentioned earlier, for periodicals. I remember him asking for uh, books on wrestling and women who wrestle, and I had no idea where he was going with this stuff. <laughs> but um, so you know, we'd pack, we'd go out, and happily, you know, we'd go shopping for New York City for Stanley Kubrick. I mean, who didn't? Who wouldn't want to do that? And you know, I helped him buy a taxi once. Um, for eyes wide shut, and had it. He had a container sitting on the west side uh, for over a year, almost a year, I think, um, uh, that he was filling up with props and um, uh, in preparation for shooting uh, eyes wide shut. And you know, he's recreating New York City, and at one point he needed a taxi, so uh, yeah, we made that happen for him because in New York. The um, you know there's a law that taxis have to be replaced after every three years or something like that, or there's a certain uh, uh, protocol for inspection and retirement of taxi cabs. So you know you can you can pick them up pretty cheaply once their their natural lives have as taxi cabs have elapsed, and uh, so we we helped them do that. And was always we were always sending something over to the west side and he hired somebody in New York just to supervise that uh mm. that exercise and I remember there was one guy a guy who I think you know Darren all well I shouldn't really yes, shouldn't really, yes. yeah but I, I may not want to mention his name <laughs> in this story. Okay. We can we can edit this part, right? I will edit it out. <laughs> all right, so there there was a guy in uh there's a guy in New York, uh, part of the staff, who just film buff, just loved Stanley's work and knew a lot about him. And that's how it was for a lot of us. You know, it was um, it's the great Stanley Kubrick. You know, but mm-hmm. we knew him. You know, we we talked to him, and um, so he needed some um, some of these sidewalk uh, newspaper boxes. You know, the New York Times, the New York Daily News, uh, the New York Post for a shot uh, or a few shots of his recreation of New York City. <laughs> so I think I called I called the Times, I called the Post, I called the News, and one of them was not that the Times agreed to send me one of the boxes. Um, the, the Times agreed, um, I think the Post agreed, I think it was the New York Daily News who said, no, we're not going to do that. In the meantime, I had worked out with a uh, reporter friend of mine at the New York Post, a crime reporter, uh, to write a story. This is another request that Stanley had. He wrote the story that appears in 
one particular scene where Tom Cruise is reading the post. Uh, it's his byline, and he he the wrote the story. Dead. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so that was a friend of mine who was a, a crime reporter at the time of the New York Post, and I asked him if he would care to get involved. And of course, he did. And uh, so there was still so we had a cooperative relationship with the New York Post and uh, and with the New York Times on this thing, but not the Daily News. Well, one day. Um, I see uh, one of my uh, young, younger colleagues walk in the door with uh, a hand truck, and on that hand truck is a daily news box, a New York Daily News street dispenser, and sitting on top of the box is a giant pair of bolt cutters. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's an example of the dedication that we had to getting Stanley what he wanted. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's great. Uh, and in between these projects, he he was working endlessly on on, on, a, on several projects that we know about uh, the, the, the the wartime lies, the, the Aryan yeah. papers, um, AI. Uh, I would think still Napoleon too. Uh, I don't know when he finally let go of that project. Uh, did you have experience with experiences with him on any of these unfulfilled projects? Yeah, wartime lies and AI. Um, we we were gathering a lot of uh, information and, and research materials for him on those two. Um, and one in particular, I remember having a conversation with him about uh, about AI, and uh, he uh, he told me that he was uh, that he had been. Uh, Planning on making that, he had a, you know, he wanted to make that movie for a long time, um, and it wasn't until um, he saw. Let's see, what film was it that he said? Uh, can was you, can it you Jurassic? Pa- yes, exactly. He saw Jurassic. Jurassic. Yeah, yeah. He said he when he saw Jurassic Park. Um, he said then he knew it was possible to make the kind of movie he wanted to make. But um, I remember hearing, not from him, but but third-hand, that he thought ultimately Spielberg should make the film, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he would be better suited. Uh, and he might have said, ah, Spielberg does that kind of shit better than I do. <laughs> that warm and fuzzy stuff, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was uh, an accurate quote, but that's sort of the third-party Secondhand quote that I right, heard. right. Now, Full Metal Jacket. It came at a time when uh, some very acclaimed Vietnam films had already come into the fold. Uh, did that make the, your approach to 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 getting the word out about that uh, particularly daunting? Uh, no. Okay. No, it was because it was Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. You know. Um, because you knew, you just knew that it was going to be like nothing else, uh, and it was. It was like nothing else, and mm-hmm. not not to take anything away from those films, those other films. Um, it was, uh, you know, unlike any other film in that it was gritty and urban looking. You know, it wasn't it wasn't um, the jungles of Vietnam that you remember from that film. Yeah, uh, you remember it being a, a gritty, 
uh, house-to-house uh, uh, sort of gray war-torn waste, wasteland. You know, it wasn't green and pretty and beautiful. It was different. Uh, it was a very, very different kind of a film. Uh, and I and I think um, you know because it was Kubrick, we knew going in that it was uh, it was going to be something like you'd never seen before and it was uh, I guess uh, Full Metal Jacket was 87 right yeah yeah. and so Platoon which is a great film right Platoon it was the year before uh, uh, a great film Um, but you know very very different yeah obviously there's only one Kubrick excuse me uh, did you get a a feel of these films before you started working on them by reviewing any footage? I mean, he didn't know, allow it to be shown even to the executives until he was absolutely ready. No, we never we never had that luxury. Uh, we never 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 saw the work. You know, unlike many many other films from later years, you know, that I worked on, mm-hmm. uh, we never had a sneak peek, and it was always. It somehow made it that much more exciting when we finally did see them. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I have one more question about The Shining because uh, it's been discussed a lot in these interviews. It seems to be, uh, and, and The Shining. It, it's shocking to me that the two films that I'm finding our guests have the the most kind of varied interpretations of from Kubrick's career are, are The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut, but particularly The Shining. Um, and and it all a lot of the conversations we've discussed that alternate ending that he cut out. Now, were you, were you privy to to that point in time when he said that he wanted to cut that ending out? No, that was you know because I I was new I was the new guy in town, and uh, by the time I joined Warner Brothers, the movie had I think. The, I, I don't remember the specific release date for The Shining, but of course I can look at this December eighty, I th- or it could have been a summer movie. I, I forget which. Well, um, let's see. I came here. Let me just check. Um, uh, I came in July of nineteen eighty, and I seem to remember that the movie. Uh, had already opened, mm. um, or it was right. The opening was right on top of um, my arrival. Uh, yeah, all the IMDb and everybody's not giving me the date. It's just just giving me the year. Um, oh, here it is. Yeah, May twenty third, nineteen eighty. So that's about right. The movie had just opened, and. Uh, and I came in on July, in July, and that's pretty great, you know, that that a movie's still uh, still being marketed a couple of months after it opened, or six yeah. weeks after it opened, you know. Uh, so I was thrown right into it. But so to answer your question, no, I, I had little to do with that that stuff. I I was barely I barely had a relationship with him at that point. I was just starting to build it, you know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But he was he. he always tinkered i mean he he yeah. tinkered on and on past the release of the film i mean he really cared about all markets that the film played in 
Oh, I, I remember um, there was, uh, yeah, uh, cares about all of them. I, I remember getting a phone call at home. Uh, there was a family barbecue going on, and uh, he asked me to hold up the phone to the television at that moment because on Entertainment Tonight, there was some kind of a story about, um might have been fear and desire. Um, um, not sure if it was fear and desire. It might have been. Uh, and he knew about it. Um, and he wanted to, uh, he wanted to hear what the report actually said, uh, as it was being said. Um, was it either fear and desire or pass, of glory? Might have had something to do with its presentation at the George Eastman House or something, but um, it was not unusual um, to have dinner interrupted by a phone call from yeah. family in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> I heard, I heard a great story about him calling, uh, him calling the great cinematographer Gordon Willis in the middle of the night. It was something like two or three a.m. And Gordon Willis is is very. Uh, I mean, he speaks his mind. He's he's kind of unafraid, uh, and he, he was probably a little short-tempered being woken up that early, that that late at night. And uh, so he put on his glasses and went downstairs and said, "Okay, Stanley, what do you want?" And he said, "That shot in The Godfather, <laughs> which lens did you use?" And he said, "You got to be kidding me." <laughs> he was all he 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 had the world at his fingertips, didn't he, Mr. Kubrick? I mean, he, he did. He had it all there. Wow. He did. Um... One, uh, I, I mean, I have many stories, but one in particular <laughs> comes uh, comes to mind um, during um, the uh, pre-production for for Eyes Wide Shut. He called me and he said, "So, um, if a lady goes into a doctor's office for an examination, do you think he brings a nurse with him?" <laughs> and I said, "I." think so i'm you know i have no idea a female nurse a female nurse uh, i said but um you know i could i could um i could ask my doctor you know and and i knew uh because my doctor at the time was as precise a physician as i'd ever met and i knew that his precision would perfectly match stanley kubrick's precision uh, so he said, "Can you have him call me?" <laughs> so, <laughs> so, the next day, I stopped by my doctor's office and I explained uh, that uh, the great film director Stanley Kubrick would like to speak to him. And he said, "Okay, that's fine. Give me his number." Uh, like it, like it was nothing. Like, like he was getting a call for the local pharmacy. Uh, so they worked it out. The two of them worked it out, and I saw the doctor later, and I asked him how it went. And, uh, and Stanley uh, later told me, I think, a similar story about uh, uh, the doctor's answer was, uh, uh, it depends on the doctor, number one. And then Stanley was unsatisfied with that answer, pressed him. And uh, and finally said, yeah, I think there should be there should be a uh, uh, a nurse in the room when there's a, a woman a female nurse in the room when there's a woman being examined. And then he went further and, and asked the, my doctor if uh, he would be wearing a white lab coat. 
And the answer that the doctor gave him was perfect. He said, it depends on if he's short or tall. And Stanley was intrigued by this answer, of course. (laughs) And uh, and the doctor said, if he's short, he's going to wear a lab coat because it'll make him look taller. (laughs) He loved that. And I think Tom Cruise is wearing a lab coat in in that scene in the film, actually. (laughs) I I remember that shot. I do. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so you said you did you did uh, a number of things uh, for Eyes Wide Shut, but you also did digital work. Well, um, I yeah, uh, just a, a little bit. It was it was ironic because um, in um, let's see, from from about eighty nine to um, um, ninety eight. Those those nine years or so, I ran the uh, East Coast offices of, of Warner Brothers and publicity and advertising and all of that. But I developed an interest in the internet um, mm-hmm. at about that time, uh, toward the end of that time in '94, '95, '96, and I started trying to introduce uh, digital marketing uh, into the mix, and ultimately succeeded. And, and from '98 till 2008, I I started and and uh, and ran the digital marketing division of Warner Brothers Pictures. And um, so, with my newfound interest in all of this, I said, you know, I was urging Stanley to let me build a website for uh, Eyes Wide Shut. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he had expressed a lot of interest in computers. He was always asking me um, my opinion on these new laptops that were coming out. And uh, he asked me, you know, very detailed questions about what sort of computers I liked and what I used and and would I pick this up for him or that up for him and so he could experiment with it and so on. And uh so I expected to get um uh, you know a very positive uh reaction when I asked him about the web and uh he wanted little to do with it. He wanted it was ironic. Uh, hmm. So all that existed for Eyes Wide Shut, at least at that time, I think it was late. It was enhanced later, after the release of the film, and of course after his death, um, by some other people. Uh, you know, probably super, like Leon Vitali and Tony Fruin probably had something to do with it with with teams over there. But um, all we had was one page with with uh, title art and and maybe one illustration, and that was it. That was the website and. You know, that was when we were really aspiring. Uh, it was in the beginning. It was Wild West on the Internet. We were really aspiring to do all kinds of fun, uh, innovative things. Uh, Pre-Flash, it was pre-Flash. Well, later on, we you know, we, we did much, much better things. But, uh, you know, it was an exciting, interesting time, and I really wanted to bring that to, uh, to Eyes Watch. But, no, he wanted nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember going on the website and I think it still exists um <clears throat> after the movie came out and it was a it's the page with the with the title and the trailer and you had uh, a chance to look at the trailer in different sizes or maybe the TV spots in the theatrical trailer were on there I think that's what the site became yeah. if I remember correctly um so when 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 Mr. Kubert passed uh, what was the feeling like at, at Warner Brothers and, and the responsibility to, to that film? Did it feel like, 
kind of a greater kind of more uh, you know I'm, I'm saying I'm trying to come up with a word but what was that what was the attitude like at Warner Brothers well um yeah I remember um Bob Daly and Terry Semmel uh, who were heading the studio then uh showing us the mute the movie in New York uh, and you know, there were some decisions made about uh, the final cut of the movie that at the time I think were somewhat controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, Bob and Terry were very, very tight with him and very respectful of him as an artist. And I think the relationship, obviously the relationship went back many, many years. And uh, I think... Um, the family was consulted. The Christian was was consulted on uh, on how the film was finished, and Jan Harlan played a great role in in the the final touches. Um, and it was uh, bittersweet. You know, we were seeing uh, we had great anticipation, but we were um, saddened by you know his uh, untimely death. To use a cliche, but for me personally, it was. A little, a little more bittersweet, I think, uh, at least from my own perspective, because you know, here I had never met him all those years. I'd never met him. I, I was talking to him for uh, all those years since 1980, and I was scheduled to go um, to England, I guess, uh, on some sort of business. It might have been uh, Harry Potter. Uh, just was just starting up, and uh, I was gonna I was gonna go over t- to his home and you know, you know, where he did everything uh, and meet him for the first time. And my trip was scheduled uh, for April, and he died in March. So did it did it feel like? First of all, as a film fan, it, it feels like an emptiness for all of us because we we knew we weren't going to get any more Kubrick films. But for you particularly, I mean, someone that was used to getting calls at at any or all hours of the day, at night, uh, from Stanley. I mean, did you? It, it, it had to have you had to feel felt a certain kind of emptiness there to know that you wouldn't be interacting with him. Yeah, you know, I mean, we we weren't friends. I mean, uh, um. I was uh, somebody who worked at Warner Brothers, who he trusted, I guess, to a certain extent, like other people there. And uh, you felt good about that. You felt um, you felt like you were doing something meaningful, and you were honored by that. And so, from that perspective, uh, you know, and he had a great sense of humor, and he would joke or kid around with you, and and you know, gently mock you. And uh, <laughs> but. Um, so it was cordial. It was cordial, but we we weren't um, you know personal friends or anything like that. Right. So uh, it was always very professional. But yeah, you, you felt a um, you, like any you know you felt like a great artist had had passed through your life and and he just wasn't there anymore. And you know, fortunately, he'd left uh, this great body of work, and you mm-hmm. know, people could debate. Uh, people can debate the films for years and years and years, and they will. Uh, you know, some like them, some don't. Um, but I don't think anybody denies that he's, you know, one of the 
most influential filmmakers of the 20th century. And, uh, we were all very lucky to have played a small part in, in all of that. You know. Yeah. What's your favorite of, of his films? Which one means the most to you? Uh, um, well, I, I, you know, of the three I worked on, I really, uh, I think Full Metal Jacket is is the one. But um, I could watch, uh, I could watch Paths of Glory and 2001 and Doctor Strangelove over and over and over again. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's hard to choose a favorite. Um, so, you know, the, 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 I just have one more quick question for you, and the the reason I ask is because this comes up, still comes up a lot. You said that there was a point of controversy at the time of release regarding Eyes Wide Shut and the cut, um, and and we've talked to so many people involved with Mr. Kubrick, including the the gentleman who supervised the digital process, um, and he put a lot of the rumors to rest. But it, it, was there much of a significant difference between the, the original cut that you saw and the one that was eventually released? Oh, I never saw the original cut. I only saw the release cut. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And um, I just went to the website. <laughs> it's, the still there? it's the same website that was there. It's the same exact website. This is what he he uh, this is what he let me put up. It's exactly the same. Uh, is it is it eyes is it eyes wide shut dot com? Huh. <laughs> and it's copyright nineteen ninety nine Warner Brothers. Uh, wow, well, is that great? And there's a link to Christian's. Okay, I see that too. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I think he probably would have embraced it. I mean, ha, uh, later on. Uh, later on, I, I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. I think um, he would have um, found a way to make it better. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, 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 oh,